They sing songs, they have activities that are all connected to the Bible story as well. And we're excited for them to get back in that routine as we dive into the new year as well. I want to encourage you to turn your Bible to Genesis chapter 3 this morning. I mentioned this earlier. We're starting a new sermon series today called Redemption Story. And what we're going to do, let me kind of give you a, a bit of the plan, if you will, is over the course of the next year, throughout 2023, we're going we're gonna to work our way through the Bible together. And so what I've done is I've tried to build a sermon, build my sermons and my preaching plan for the next calendar year around a Bible reading plan. In fact, uh, on the next slide, you're going to see a QR code. And if you would like, you can scan that QR code with your device, and it will take you to a page on our website where there is a copy of a Bible reading plan. I'll tell you that this Bible reading plan is also, if you use the Bible app, if you use the version, particularly the version Bible app, that it is, it is in there. You have to have a little bit of familiarity, I suppose, with that app to know how to navigate. But if, if you have the Bible app, I'm going to pull out my phone real fast. You're not going to be able to see this, of course. There's no way that you can see this. But I want to make sure that I'm pointing to the right place in the app. So if I open up the YouVersion Bible app on my phone, at the very bottom in the center, there is a box that says plans. And if you click on the box that says plans, at the top you'll see two things. One says my plans, and one says find plans. You can search using the search bar in the, in the navigation tool there. You can search for Bible reading plan, or I would encourage you type in the word canonical. That's a big word, I realize. Canonical Bible reading plan, and you'll find you'll find this plan. It's actually the plan we're using. I've specifically used the way that the plan is laid out in the the U version Bible apps canonical reading plan, which by the way is the same as the Blue Letter Bible uh, canonical reading plan. Canonical. Let me explain that word. What does the word canonical mean? That means that it's just starting in Genesis and reading all the way through Revelation as the books are arranged in the canon of the Bible. That's Sometimes we refer to the Bible, particularly the arrangement of the books of the Bible, as the canon. That comes from an old word that means the rule or the ruler. And so it is the rule. It is the prescribed order of how the books of the Bible are arranged, are put together. That was done by the church many, many years ago, and there's a whole history of the process of how that worked its way out. But nonetheless, a canonical plan starts in Genesis and then goes all the way through Revelation. There are lots of Bible reading plans that are out there. If you have another one that you really like, that you follow, then I would say, then by all means, stick to it. There are chronological Bible reading plans, and a chronological Bible reading plan actually starts in Genesis, but then it will divert, and it tries to follow the timeline of the Bible. So you'll read so far in the book of Genesis, and then it'll go to the book of Job, and then it'll come back to Genesis, and then when you get into the, the, the stories of the, sort of the developing of the nation of Israel, it's, it's you know, you have different things interspersed. Uh, in, in through, so that's another Bible reading plan. There's the McShane Bible reading plan, which a lot of people do. There are other Bible reading plans that give you some Old Testament, some New Testament, maybe a Psalm and a Proverb every day. There's lots of great 
options that are out there. But my hope is that we would see the unfolding or overarching story of the Bible from beginning to end, which is why I've chosen particularly the canonical plan. We're just going to start in Genesis and work our way through Revelation. And so for the for the, the rest of this year, each Sunday, I will preach a passage that is taken from that week's reading. So if you found the Bible reading plan, by the way, if all of that is too much for you, we have just good old printed physical copies of this available in the foyer that you can get on your way out this, this morning as you go out the foyer on the little, I probably should have said that by the chuckles in the room, I can tell I lost some of you a long time ago, uh, that if you, if you go out and, and on the, uh, the little chest that's on the, the right side or the west side of, the, of our lobby, you'll find copies of this. You can just pick one of those up. We can make lots more. It is on our website as well. If you go to the sermons page, if you navigate to the sermons page on our website, which is actually where the, the link on the QR code that I showed you takes you to our website where you can download a copy of this for yourself or you can link to the version plan that you can do on a mobile device or on a computer if that's something that you want to use. All of that build up to say this. We're going to study the Bible together through this year. I would really encourage you to commit to reading through the Bible in 2023. There are few commitments that you can make that will feed you and bless you, I think, like a, like a commitment to read through the Bible. And I don't want anyone to raise hands because I'm not trying to put anybody on blast, but I'd be willing to bet that in, in the room, probably the majority of us in the room, majority of, of those around the room, have not read through the whole Bible. And, and that's okay if you haven't. Again, I'm not judging you because actually I think that's probably true of most Christians. And yet, and yet, I'm firmly convinced that there are very few disciplines, very few habits that you can establish that will, that will bless you, like studying the Word of God and, importantly, reading through the Bible. And so I want to encourage you to make this the year that you commit. Make 2023 the year that you commit to read through the Bible. If you get behind at certain points, well, then catch back up, right? If you, if you get off track, then get back on track. Sometimes that's the way it works, and that's okay. We've provided a plan. It's a tool. It's a roadmap or a resource that's meant to help you. But what I, what I really think that will, will bless you the most of all is just the daily discipline of trying to spend time in the Word of God and doing it just a little bit at a time, right? It, it, it seems like a lot when you look at it all at once, and, and it is. But if you will commit to small amounts of time, in fact, uh, depending on how fast you read and, and, and how, you know, how much you, you, you really meditate on the words, probably a commitment of somewhere around 20, between 20 and 30 minutes a day if you will commit to reading between 20 and 30 minutes a day, for some less and maybe for others a little bit more than that, you will get through the Bible in the new year. And, and I, I know, I'm convinced that that will, that will do incredible things for your spiritual walk. And so I hope you'll do that. And we're going to preach our way and work our way through. Now, obviously, there's no way for us to preach everything in the Bible like this. I'm not going verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the whole of the Bible. But what we will see is that from Genesis to Revelation, there is, there is an unfolding story. The Bible is 66 books, but it's one story of God's plan to redeem us from our sin. And we see that from the beginning, even from the very beginning, with the creation narrative that we're going to look at this morning in Genesis chapters 
three specifically, but really it's, it's drawn from today's reading in the plan. Day one, January the 1st, the reading is Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3. And so the text that we're going to look at this morning is drawn from today's reading, from this week's reading, as we are working our way through the Bible. By the way, one more thing that I'll throw in as a commercial of sorts, that's not really what I intend for it to be, but it kind of is, is this is actually what I'm going to do on both on Sundays and Wednesday nights. So if you come and you're a part of the midweek Bible study that I lead on Wednesday nights, we're going to pick other passages. So like this particular week, if you come, we're going to look at God speaking to uh, Abraham and calling Abraham into a covenant relationship, Genesis chapter 12, and how God calls Abraham into that covenant relationship with himself. That's going to be the text that we focus on uh, this Wednesday night, January the 4th, as we jump back into Wednesday night and all the things that are happening. And so Sundays and Wednesdays throughout the year, I'm going to be preaching and teaching through the story, the overarching story of the Bible, and we're going to work our way through the Scripture together. And so I hope that you'll come along with me on this journey through the Bible in the new year as we focus on redemption story, the story of how God is working from the beginning to redeem us ultimately from our sin. And so this morning we jump in with Genesis chapter 3. Now, do you, ever, do you ever read a book or watch a movie or even maybe a, 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 a sporting event or something else, and you know what's going to happen before you watch it? I, I know a lot of people, you know, with, with life being busy the way it is, you'll record a game that you want to watch, but maybe you slip up and you actually know what the, the final score of that game is before you actually watch the game. And you sit down to, you've recorded the game and you sit down to watch through. You know, it hits a little different, doesn't it, when you, all the drama that unfolds, when you know what the final score is going to be. You don't quite have the same emotional highs and the emotional lows when you know what the outcome is going to be in that game before. Well, Sometimes that's the way that it works with the Bible as well. Sometimes when we get into the Bible, we, there, it's a little bit, I don't want to say it's a letdown, because by no means is it a letdown, but some of, the, some of the, the, the drama is lost sometimes because we know ultimately that Jesus wins in the end. My hope is this year as we work our way through the Bible that we'll see it for all of its, all of its glory, all of the drama, all the tension, all of the, the wonder that's, that's there pointing us to a God who made us to know him and to have a relationship with him by faith. And so that's where we, that's where we will be in 2023, redemption story. And this morning we begin with Genesis chapter 3. Now you probably well know that in Genesis 1 and 2, you have the creation story or the creation narrative sometimes is the word that Bible scholars will use. Narrative just it, it, that's talking, it's a story, right? A narrative is a story, but that's also a specific type or a genre of literature, of scripture. And so this is the creation narrative. It's the story of God creating the earth, creating, creating Adam and Eve, the first man, the first woman. And what we see in the creation story is that God has been working from the beginning for us to know him. In fact, one of, the, one of the things that, we, that, that is so striking when you read through the story of creation in Genesis 1 and 2 is that in all of the, all of the unfolding uh, picture of, of God's creation and, and those things as they're working its way out, that we have a God who exists in, in the form of Trinity, 
Father, Son, and Spirit, a God who exists in that, that perfect eternal relationship, who has made us in his image with, with the, the, the predisposition, if you will. We're wired for a relationship with God. In fact, one ph- philosopher famously quipped that it is the God-shaped hole in every man's heart, that there is a God-shaped hole inside of us that, that is meant to be filled by God. Now, whatever language we might use to describe that, what we see even from the beginning of Scripture is that God made us to know Him and to be known by Him. And so from, from the first man and the first woman with Adam and Eve all the way to the present God's desire is to know us and to be known by us, which is a pretty incredible thing, isn't it? Because God could have existed in such a way that He created the earth, created the world, created us, but then just existed apart from it in a way that, that, that He's just watching it all unfold. In fact, that's what deists believe. It's sort of the, the classical idea is of a, the watchmaker who makes the watch, winds it up, and then just stands back and lets it run. But that's not the picture that we have of, of this God who has made us to know us and to be known by us. But what we also understand is that from the beginning, though, sin enters into the picture and, and the fall takes place from Genesis chapter 3. But praise God, the fall does not have to be final. The fall doesn't have the final word. The fall is not the end of the story. In fact, even in the way that we see the fall told to us in Genesis 3, it's pointing toward the ultimate fulfillment of God's plan to redeem us. So even from Genesis, we see redemption is a part of this story. And that's what I want us to focus on this morning. Genesis chapter 3. I want us to just begin in verse 1. We're going to read these first 15 verses of Genesis 3. You know this part of the story. I have no doubt. You, you're familiar with this. And yet, even in this, I, I want to point out a few things that are interesting here. Maybe you've heard before, but perhaps you haven't. Because I, I want us to, to really think deeply and meditate deeply on this as we, as we work our way through. So Genesis 3, 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now let's pause there for a moment, because there's some things that are, that are in this part of the story that Perhaps, perhaps we, need to, we need to focus on. Um, first of all, what's happening here with the serpent is tied to Genesis chapter 2. And so if you go back to Genesis chapter 2 and, and even look specifically at verses 15 and 16. Uh, in fact, in Genesis 2.16 we read that the Lord God commanded the man saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And yet when the serpent approaches the woman in Genesis chapter 3, notice how the serpent distorts, how he twists God's word. God said you may eat of all the, fruit, all the trees in the garden except this one tree. But the serpent says to the woman, Did God say to you that you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now, did God say you should not eat of any tree in the garden? 
No, that's not what the Lord said. The Lord said to Adam, you can eat of any tree except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So this, the serpent is, is twisting God's word, is he not? And, and ultimately, we find that that's, that's his plan from the beginning. Even that's the way that it works now, that the enemy will try to twist and distort and pervert God's truth in such a way that, that he makes it seem as though it's something that it isn't, that he makes God's laws, his commandments, his plans seem burdensome or heavy for us. Wouldn't it be really heavy for God to place Adam and Eve in the garden surrounded by all of these wonderful trees and all of this wonderful fruit and all this beauty and creation and to say, you can't, you can't have anything to do with any of it. But that's not what God said. God gave them dominion over all of it except one tree that he told them specifically not to, but the enemy distorts that. Not only that, look at Eve's response. She says in verse 3, Genesis 3, 3, God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Is that what God said to Adam? Did God say to Adam, don't eat of this fruit or touch it? No, specifically God said don't eat. Again, we see how the truth is being distorted. It's being, it's being, uh, it's being twisted in a way, and that's what sin does. Sin twists the truth. Sin and temptation wants to, wants to try to convince us of something that isn't true, that we would believe a lie. And so the enemy, he leans into this. But the serpent said to the woman in verse 4, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. What was Adam doing all of this time that he's, he's waiting, right? He's, he's going to let Eve go first. He's going to let Eve take the first bite to see if she dies, basically. He's standing there the whole time waiting to see what's going to happen. And we see in verse 7, Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. If you go back to the very last verse of chapter 2, we see that they were naked and they were unashamed. But now they, they recognize their nakedness. They recognize their vulnerability. Now they recognize, uh, they, they recognize the truth of what's taken place. And so they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said to him, where are you? Now, again, let's pause. Do you think that God asked, where are you? Because he didn't actually know where they were. Have you ever played hide and seek with a two-year-old, right? It, you know where they've hidden. You, you know where they are. But the, so we understand that God isn't calling out to Adam here because he doesn't know what's happened, because he has perfect knowledge of all things. Of course, he knows what's happened. But, but there's a point in all of this. There's a point of of calling them to accountability of, of, of even dealing with the consequences of their sin. Verse 10, and he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, well, the woman whom you gave to, to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, 
What is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now that's as far as we're going to read this morning. Uh, he goes on, of course, to deal with Adam and, and Eve and, and to give them their consequences for the sin and the fall as well. And he kicks them out of the garden. And, and so if you read, you'll, you'll read the rest of that. But there are some really important things that I want us to see in this, this unfolding of, of the very, from the very beginning of the story of redemption that is embedded, that is woven into the very fabric of of the scripture that we see here in Genesis chapter 3. And so as we look at this story, uh, there are four points essentially that I want you to see in in kind of this unfolding story. This is kind of an outline, a blueprint of sorts that will help us. So the first thing we see is the serpent's deception. The serpent's deception. So the serpent comes to Adam and Eve, and we see specifically at first we see that he's, he's speaking with Eve, although we learn from verse 6 that Adam was there the whole time. He was with her. He, Adam was, was being passive. By the way, there's a whole part of this that I really think that you even see from the very beginning, from the first man and the first woman. You see, you see part of what's taking place here is, is the, the very patterns of sin that we still struggle with against even today, that so many men, one of our great one of our great struggles is passivity. Eh, we just let things happen rather than being active, rather than being proactive, rather than leading the way that we're called to lead. We see here in the situation, in this story, Adam was there the whole time, and, and he could have, he should have, he, he should have stepped up. He should have said, no, Eve, let's not do Now, Eve is responsible. She's, she has agency over her choices as well. She's responsible ultimately for her, for her sin in all of this, and yet Adam isn't doing his part to lead the way, the, the way that God had commanded him to when you read the story of creation in Genesis 1 and 2. And the enemy is, he's poking, he's prodding, he's, he's using these deceptive thoughts, these deceptive ideas. He's, he's injecting the, the poison of his lies into the situation. Did God really say that you can't eat of any the fruit of any tree that's in the garden? No, that's not what God said at all. And yet the serpent presents it in such a way that his deception implies somehow that God is withholding something that is good from Adam and Eve, right? And don't we struggle against that even today? I mean, really, if you were to boil sin down to its fundamental, its core reality, the truth is that the temptation to sin today really is still rooted in this idea that sin over-promises and under-delivers. Sin promises us something that it can't give us. It promises us satisfaction. The temptation to sin, well, this will satisfy. This will do the trick. This will make you happy. This will fill that longing inside of you. And yet, has sin ever really satisfied? Now, I understand that for a season, Probably all of us can, can point to some, some kind of sin that we've done, and we can say, yeah, I mean, for a while it was okay. But in, in, it, in the end, does sin ever really fulfill? Does it ever really satisfy? Could it really sustain us? The answer, of course, is no. But a part of the lie, a part of the deception that is, that is, is, is built into this temptation, this, 
sin that even the serpent himself uses is, is the lie that we could be like God, which is to say we could have our own moral authority. We could have ultimate authority, ultimate agency, ultimate power over our own lives rather than being yielded and submitted to a loving God who made us for a relationship with Him. I mentioned already that what I see in the beauty of Genesis 1 and 2 is that God made us to know Him and be known by Him, and yet the Satan's, Satan's lie, the serpent's lie, is that, oh, no, that's, God's holding something back from you. God's keeping what's really good from you. He's keeping the best for Himself. Because the serpent wants to deceive us. He wants to use his lies to steal what God has for us. So we see that in in the first deception. And the truth is, that drama plays itself out in every deception, every temptation, every sin from that time to now. At At its most base level, the common denominator, you will, is the idea that somehow I can be in charge. I, I have authority. I, I'm going to do, th- it's me, right? My way, what I want, what I think is best. So we see that in the serpent's deception. Also, we see Eve's decision. Eve, Eve made, of course, the, uh, the, the terrible choice to, to take and eat because she believed the lie. And so this is what we refer to as the fall, right? In in, in in the, the story of the Bible, in, in the world of theology, we refer to this first sin, if you will, as the fall. Because what happens as Eve takes the fruit and eats is that there are consequences now that not only will Eve have to live with, but the rest of creation as well. And when you read the latter part of Genesis 3, you see those consequences in, in what the Lord says to Eve in, in, in those verses. Adam has his own consequences as well, but nonetheless, we, we think of this as the fall. Sin enters into the picture. God's perfect plan, his perfect design is broken. And yet, I, I, want, you to, I want you to pause if we can, all right? And, and I want you to just for a moment, I want you to think, have you ever, have you ever looked beyond this and have you ever asked the, just the basic question, If God knew that all of this was going to take place, because if God knows everything, if He knows the end from the beginning, if He sees all, if He knows all, if God knew, then why, why did He create this tree and tell Adam and Eve, if God knew that this was going to take place, wouldn't it have been easier for God just not to create the tree, not to create that tree, and and, and then thus to take temptation out of play in, in the picture? Or if, if God knew that this, why did God create a serpent? Why did God, why did he, and, and we can go on and on and on with the whys. Why are these things, why did this happen? Why? And the reality is this, and this is the point I want, I want us to think about. We, we can't get an ultimate answer for the question of why, because we don't know what God knows, and we don't see what God sees. Now, that doesn't mean we that it's wrong for us to think on those things. It doesn't mean that it's wrong for us to entertain those questions and to try to formulate ideas. And, and if, if what we're doing is trying to uh, contend with and wrestle with our own desire, our own fallen nature. But ultimately, I'm, I'm convinced that until, until we meet Jesus face to face, 
whether that be, is because I die and I go on or because Jesus comes back. Until I meet Jesus face to face, there are some of these things that I'll never fully understand. And yet what I do know, because it's revealed here from the beginning, is that even in spite of Eve's decision and, and the consequence of sin that, you, that, that I face, that you face, that we all face, the truth is God has not let the fall be final. The fall does not have the final word. God has made a way for us to be redeemed in spite of the fall. Now, I suppose it really is a good question, why? But ultimately, the best that we can hope to, to try to arrive at as we, as we wrestle with that question is that God, in, in doing this in a way that brings glory to himself, God has, has created a plan for us to be redeemed. So the why question, the only answer that personally that satisfies that, that question from my heart is to know that God has done all of this in a way that is for his glory and my good. Romans teaches us that, by the way. We just spent a better part of last year studying our way through the book of Romans. And what we saw again and again in Romans is that God is always at work for his glory and our good. And so God, in a way that is designed to bring him glory and is for my good, God is working in spite of my sin. So Eve's decision has devastating consequences, and yet in the midst of that, God has a plan. The next part of the story that we see is Adam's denial. Adam's denial. So in, in these verses, we see that God is walking about in the garden in the, in the cool of the day, and he calls out to Adam, where are you? And Adam says, you know, over here, essentially, why are you hiding? Well, because we were naked, and so we hid ourselves. God says, how did you know that you were naked? He's calling Adam to accountability here, right? And what is Adam's response? Rather than, accept, than, than, than accepting responsibility, Adam, he pushes the blame. Rather than saying, Lord, I did what the one thing you told me not to do. Instead, what does Adam say? The woman who you gave to me, right? He, he denies the truth. He tries to side. And, and even in that, we see the pattern for our own sin in that we would deny the truth. We would deny our responsibility. We want to try to push off accountability, push it on to someone or something else. But God says to to Adam and to Eve. To Eve, of course, he says, why did you do this? Eve has an excuse, a reason why as well. And God says to both of them that, that there are going to be consequences, but even in the midst of those consequences, we see, ultimately, we see sins defeat. And that's the fourth point that I want you to see. Again, this roadmap, this blueprint for redemption is that the enemy wants to deceive us, that we have to make a decision about will we, will we trust God or will we try to do things on our own? We know that we've already, we've sinned. We've lived in rebellion. We, we try to deny that truth. But praise God, ultimately sin is defeated because of what Jesus has done. And what we see in Genesis 3.15 is a foreshadowing of that. In fact, Bible scholars refer to Genesis 3.15. I'm going to give you a, a fancy word here, right? We refer to this as the proto-euangelion. 
proto-euangelion. So that means proto means first, and in the Greek language, euangelion is the word gospel. So this is a forerunner to the gospel. The first gospel is found in Genesis 3.15. This is a foreshadowing of what's to come. You know, stories, good stories, have a lot of movement in them. And one of the things that you find in a good book, in a good movie, in a good story, is you find little bits, little clues, little things that point to what's going to be coming, right? The foreshadowing of sorts. Genesis 3.15 has all the drama of, of of a good story, of a great story, because here we find a foreshadowing of things to come, and it's pointing us to the fact that even in spite of the fall, God has a plan to redeem us. Redemption story is there in Genesis 3.15. In other words, we see the end from the beginning, the proto-euangelion, the first gospel. I will put enmity between you and the woman, this is a part of God's curse to the serpent, and between your offspring and her offspring. Now that is speaking of Jesus. That's a foreshadowing of things to come through Jesus. That Jesus, who is referred to throughout the Old Testament and even in the New Testament as the, the offspring of the woman, and that God is going to use her offspring, not meaning literally Eve's children, of, of course, right? Cain and Abel, or, but pointing the way, foreshadowing someone to come. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. In other words, the, the enemy would strike at this offspring's heel, but he would crush the enemy's head. What does Romans 16, 20 tells us? That God will crush Satan under his feet. Go to Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, and we see that at the, at the fullness of time that God sent a man born of woman. So, so Jesus was that offspring. Go to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. In fact, Hebrews 2, 14, I think, is perhaps one of the clearest places that we see this. I'll just read it to you. Hebrews 2, 14 says, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, speaking of the offspring of a woman, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power over death, that is, the devil. So the scripture is telling us again and again, it's pointing back and saying, from the beginning, God has had a plan to redeem us from our sin through Jesus it's the foreshadowing. It's, it's pointing the way. When we look at Genesis 3.15, we see that God created us to know and be known. Why was God walking in the garden calling out to Adam? Because he knew Adam. Because he, he had a relationship with Adam. Because his desire was to spend time to be connected. Isn't that incredible that the God of creation, the God of the universe has made us to know him. In fact, that's really what sets us apart from all the rest of his creation. The fact that we were created in his image. We were created for a relationship with God, to know him and to be known by him. We see in, in this story in Genesis 3 that the temptation to sin stands on the lie that sin will satisfy us. All temptation ultimately carries this common denominator, this lie that somehow sin is good, that sin will satisfy, but it never satisfies. It always overpromises and underdelivers. We see in Genesis 3 that there's no healing in hiding. Adam and Eve hid themselves from God. 
God knew where they were, of course. They hid themselves thinking, oh, we're naked and we're ashamed of what we've done. And yet, even in their sin, God has called out to them. Even in their sin, God reaches out. He makes a way for them to be known by him, to, to still continue in that relationship in spite of how the fall damaged, fractured the relationship that they were created for. And there's no healing in hiding. As long as we hide from God, as long as we hide in our sin, as long as we try to cover our vulnerabilities and keep pursuing our broken ways, there's no healing ultimately in that. Healing only comes when we return to the Lord. What does God do in this situation in response to Adam and Eve's sin? Well, he kills an animal and he creates a covering for them. Even that is a foreshadowing. A sacrifice takes place in order to cover their sin. Do you see the foreshadowing of the gospel in that? That God has to, he, he creates, a, he, 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 there's a sacrifice. He, he creates covering for their sin through the sacrifice. Even that points us to the ultimate covering for our sin that comes through God. Now, an animal was never meant to do it. An animal, and you can read this, by the way, we read this in the book of Hebrews. It spells this out so wonderfully. An animal was never, an animal sacrifice was never meant to be the ultimate appeasement of God's wrath. It's, it's pointing the way to the need for something greater. And that thing that's greater, of course, is Jesus, who is God's ultimate sacrifice for our sin, given to, to, to pay the price, given in order to redeem us from sin. And finally, we see that sin is devastating, but it doesn't have the last word. Praise God, because of Jesus, sin has been defeated and so may we look to Jesus today as we, as we seek to live in light of God's redemption. May we look to Jesus who was given as the payment for our sin, the ultimate sacrifice to pay the price so that you and I could be forgiven and set free from our sin. That's what we see even from the beginning of the story. We see God's his end, his ultimate plan from the beginning to save us from our sin. It's redemption story. And I wonder, has there ever been a time when you have, can I use this language, entered into the story? Has there ever been a time when you have become a part of God's greater story of redemption by trusting Jesus by faith as your Lord and Savior, by asking Him for the forgiveness of sin to come in your heart and your life and save you from sin, Friends, that's what we see in Genesis 3, is that God desires to have a relationship with you. And that even in spite of your sin, God has made a way for us to be redeemed. Have you trusted him and his plan for redemption? In a moment, we're going to move into a time of invitation, a time of response. And in our time of response today, while we sing this song, if if God is speaking to your heart, and you're ready today to receive him by faith, to trust in his plan of redemption for your life, then I want to encourage you. In fact, while Brad is singing, I'll be standing here at the front, and I would love nothing more than to pray with you and walk you through this prayer of commitment that you would surrender your life to Jesus, that you would trust him by faith, and and thus become a part of this greater redemption story by trusting Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin. It's the gospel. It's the good news that God has made a way in spite of our sin for us to be forgiven and set free. And so I would ask you to bow your head and close your eyes with me as we prepare for this time of response. And even as we pray together, 
I'm going to pray that God would be working, that he would speaking, be speaking to us and moving in our hearts. And then as we begin to sing, if God is stirring, then I would encourage you that you would make your way forward and, 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 and let me pray with you and walk you through that prayer of commitment today that you might surrender your life to Jesus. Lord, we are grateful that in spite of our sin, you had a plan for redemption, that the fall doesn't have the final word that even though sin might be devastating, ultimately the enemy is defeated because you, Jesus, gave your life as payment for our sin. You offered your life as the ultimate sacrifice. By faith today, we want to...